don't really know what constitutes disco sometimes because sometimes Anything I think you can do this too. Yeah. Sometimes I think yeah. um Yeah. Something's disco and then I guess it's not. Is George Benson disco? Uh, who? Give me the night. Oh, give me the night. Give me the night. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, just the the speed of the way you said, give me the night. That sounds give like disco. Yeah, just to me too. I think it's very disco-y. Because <laughs> you got to dodge the words because you're dancing, you know. And the music video is on roller skates, so he totally could. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Telltale symptom signs of disco. <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you have skate feet. You got skate feet. There's no cure. Got what? Skate feet. <laughs> skate feet. Dude, I can't though. I can't handle the Bee Gees. No fucking thanks. Not even staying alive? No, because I oh, worked man. at a store, a thrift store in college, and they played a DVD performance of them on loop to- like pretty much every shift I ever had. They only had like three DVDs, and that was one of them. Oh, yeah. That sounds really fucking awful. It's really awful. <laughs> like, why would you pick that for your store music? Guy loved it. He just thought he just thought that that like the teeth and the chest hair and then the ha was like what he needed every day. Dude, say it alive, man. That gets you gets you yeah. going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You feel like you can do anything. Maybe once every five years when I'm drunk. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Gotta be really drunk. <laughs> walk down the street, you know, you're dressed to the nines, I pop that in your ears, and tell me you don't feel fucking awesome. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure that one is is my like my personal walking jam. I, I don't know. I'm I would go with I would go with the with Shaka Khan ain't nobody. That's pretty good. I wouldn't I don't think I would go with the BG. But oh, man, I love just saying Shaka Khan like Shaka all the time. Khan, bro. But if I had to say if a song, if there ever was an embodiment of a strut, it's staying alive. I hear you. If, if right. a strut was a song, it's it's that one. It's a striding bell bottom, you know, stomping forward into just whatever. Half, half, a, half an eight ball cocaine. Yeah, exactly. You could be going to the disco. You could be going to the store. You could be going to kill someone. I mean, but you were just striding towards your destination. You got to get there in style. I guess you, you know, you, you had to get there some way. <laughs> Walking everywhere. Hopefully in satin or all denim. Yeah. <laughs> that is every picture of the 70s I've ever seen. It's just people dressed in very warm clothing in the summertime. Oh, dancing. yeah. All leather. I don't know how they did it, especially out here. No. They're just pretending they're not Drugs. hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so cold all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh. So what are we talking about on your on this week's special birthday episode for Christopher? Yeah, okay. I guess welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber <laughs> and also the birthday boy. Oh, we're going to be really upbeat material, On Katie. this date, September, September 13th. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Yeah, no, this one's going to be really, it's 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 not going to be a fun one. Oh. Your birthday? This episode. That is your birthday. That, yeah, my birthday oh, episode. No. Oh, here is always is Caitlin Weber in Los Angeles. Hi, Chris put razor blades in his own birthday cake. <laughs> Drama queen. <laughs> 
And uh, Heather is taking some time to catch up on narrations. So we are joined once again by Emily Siebold from the Woo! Everyday Lies podcast. Hello. Hello. Hi. Crowd goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, there's a crowd of the throw up. But they're all children. No one knows oh, why. God. I'm really going to throw up now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, em helped me put this episode together kind of last minute. So like I said, it's going to be a little depressing. But also uh, a lot of hope. A lot of hope in the end. Not for mine, but maybe oh, for Maybe yours. in yeah. mine. Mine yeah. has no, hope. Mine's just horrible. He just brought you horror. No, I brought you a little hope. Because <laughs> we're staying good. alive. Because we're staying alive. Because we're staying alive. What's the legal limit of of that song we can use? Oh, I don't know. Oh. I mean, do you need the law to stay alive? Kinda. Wounded. (laughs) Switching strands. (laughs) Switching very strong. So, yeah, we thought we'd uh, take a little break from Radium Girls before we close out uh, the series on the next episode. Um, but we thought we would do a short episode about industrial disasters. Woo! Everybody's Woo-hoo! favorite! <laughs> so, keep all your fingers and hands and toes inside the vehicle. <laughs> hey, kids! Do you like chemical burns? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we were trying to think of something that we could do that was sort of in the wheel well of what we're talking about with the Radium Girls. So, yeah, we basically just picked two stories about um, industrial accidents bastards disasters i hope everybody loves black sabbath because if it wasn't for a accident at an industrial facility we wouldn't have such a, sh- a shreddy deep crazy sound that started oh that's right of, yeah he uh the guitarist lost metal. his a couple of his fingertips in a factory and then he made like weird prosthetics yeah Whoa. and that's why they had to tune it down so crazy but that's the only good story that comes out of an industrial accident. Yeah. Yeah, you get Black Sabbath. No. But not the only <laughs> good story that comes out of Black Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. It's and cool. Horrifying. There's like a, a really interesting uh, VH1 like classic did like a little cartoon about it. He was like an interview with him on the phone. It's It's pretty awesome. Well, you know, talking about just a couple different industrial disasters, it just seemed proper because it really it always kind of leads up to like these horrible capitalistic like systems that we put in place that just allow these companies to like ravage populations or other communities sometimes foreign communities or like just even like whole fucking countries oh yeah yeah fast fashion buddy that's like still going on recent like a building collapsed on a bunch of workers and stuff that like sure lots of them have yeah, I mean, like, well, we talk about the Radium Girls, you know, that happens, you know, 20s, 30s. Um, and the stories today are really just going to, I mean, we really want to illustrate that, you know, this stuff happens still today, you know, like you'd maybe you don't hear about it, but it happens. Um, usually it's sometimes tried, they try to cover it up or, you know, or we are told and people just, you know, it's kind of like, oh, no, for a day. And then, yeah, just out the of our rush purview. of information from everywhere. Especially right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you pick one one terrible grain of sand out of a beach of terrible sand? 
even if we don't like agree with like what goes on, you know, we all kind of buy into this capitalist system, which is like the companies are always to blame, but like we kind of share this like somewhat secondhand responsibility because like we still feed that machine that right, like keeps these companies going. It. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing like wrong with that. But we often look the other way or just kind of resign ourselves to the fact that like, oh, they just there's nothing we can do about it. These companies are so big or it's like maybe it's another country and you're like, oh, that's really sad. Like, but and then like it's, it's not so only far away. The, it's not only the corporation, but their political system and then the, like the, you know, controversy in that and then the mm. corruption. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. All the corruption. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you begin? That's right. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, it's it's just it's hard to like kind of reconcile because we've all like kind of just been brought up into this system, you know, especially like younger people now and we don't really know anything else. So it's like without having to completely change your lifestyle or your your way of life, um, it's hard to want to really do anything about a lot of these issues. Yeah, I think I think the public like kind of doesn't know, doesn't want to know exactly how bad it is. The extent of it, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's really hard to wrap your head around. Like, just, just, every time I learn more about plastics contamination, which is what I was learning about for, for this, um, and something I'm doing, like, in school, it's, uh, it's just like, damn, you knew this was going to happen the whole time, and now we have to make those corporations be responsible for it, which seems like common sense, but, you know, can be, can end up with a lot of, a lot of political backlash mm-hmm. for just being like, hey, you know, could you clean up your mess like an adult? It's like, no, no, can't do that. Then we assume responsibility. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> then they may have to assume responsibility for lots of things. Yeah. You know what's really sucked lately um, about plastic use is um, because of COVID-19, it's I feel like upped the use of plastic so much more for sanitary reasons and it really sucks because like you can't even in some places hand them a cup from your home to have them fill it with coffee because it, it could be you know unsanitary or contaminated in some way or whatever and then all the to-go stuff that was going on during the pandemic and it's just probably like an obscene amount of plastics used. Well, and I mean, even if you don't want to, it's like you have no choice a little bit. Yeah, I'll bet it was a lot more. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder if, you know, those products had to be plastic for sanitary reasons or if it was really because it's so cheap. Well, great companies did the biodegradable like plastics and well, yeah, plastics that, or go. whatever, like plant based yeah. things. It's more like, like a it's more like a weird film that they just kind of layer together. I think. Yeah, we're gonna get into kind of an interesting misconception here, um, but plastics are often thought of as like very sanitary, which they are sanitary, but they're also kind of poisoning you. Like yeah. most of them leach chemicals. We have no idea what they do for anything, especially yeah. in the human body. And they're just in your home doing that, touching a lot of things that are plastic right now. They're probably just getting chemicals all over me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's sanitary. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's fucking sanitary. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's good. So, but yeah, and so in today's episode, we'll tell two stories of industrial disasters and the bastards who either allowed it to happen or worked tirelessly to cover it up, deny any responsibility, or to even deny its existence. And I'm going to go the other way and talk about hopeful things and uh, some people who led the resistance. Yeah, yeah, just as a, just as a fair warning, mine's pretty horrible. <clears throat> pretty gd horrible yeah mine's pretty bad y'all so i'm going to talk about the bhopal disaster so the bhopal disaster in india is a sober example of the disregard for human rights and the shocking lack of regulation and oversight for the safety of non-western workers of foreign corporations so union carbide was a chemical corporation founded in 1917 they set up a pesticide factory in bhopal india in the 1970s and they employed uh, Indian workers to run and manufacture their pesticides. They had hoped to reach the untapped market of Indian farmers, but the pesticides proved too expensive for the farmers, so they, they never really sold any. The plant was ultimately deemed a lost venture in the early 1980s and no longer actively produced pesticides. They did not completely shut down, though, and they certainly did not move the tons of deadly chemicals they had which one article said, quote, three tanks continue to hold over 60 tons of methyl isocyanate. And that's like a really deadly, deadly chemical that they use in like some pesticides. So they just left it there. Yeah. And I mean, so the factory was like running, but they weren't producing. So they left all the stuff there and they just like had workers maintain. Well, we'll get to it in a minute. Sounds a lot like moving the headstones, but not the body. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Union Carbide also allowed the safety systems to fall into disrepair. Since the plant no longer actively produced pesticides, it seems that the plant was just put to the bottom of their concerns. There were six safety systems that prevented the leak of of the methyl isocyanate. These systems were compromised as regular maintenance became infrequent and manpower was trimmed down. Union Carbide reduced the staff to reduce costs, and as a result, safety and emergency drills were also infrequent and cursory. So they just, like, cut the staff down to bare bones minimum, didn't do checks, didn't do drills, didn't, like, update regulations. They, I mean, it was basically they were just had the skeleton crew maintaining it enough to where things wouldn't just leak out or explode i thought that was just how most businesses are run (laughs) is that not how businesses work sorry i'm just a dumb american i don't know yeah dumb question (laughs) (laughs) so on december 2nd 1984 an employee was quote flushing a corroded pipe when multiple stopcocks failed and allowed water to flow freely into the largest tank of mic which is the methyl yeah with a long name so um, I'm going to take some quotes from uh, Bhopal.org. It was a site that really compiled all the information of the disaster and like what happened on the ground, um, stuff from all the legal battles. So they were one really good source. I'll put my other sources as well. There were a couple of good um, academic articles on the disaster. It's so bad. One day they will send a holographic like statement about it into space and people will go by and they'll be like, what the fuck? (laughs) So uh, quoting from Bhopal.org, 
Exposure to this water soon led to an uncontrolled reaction. The tank was blown out of its concrete sarcophagus and spewed a deadly cloud of, of MIC, hydrogen cyanide, monomethylene, and other chemicals that hugged the ground. Blown by the prevailing winds, this cloud settled over much of Bhopal. And it didn't take long before people began to die after that. Anywhere from 27 to 60 tons of methyl isocyanate leaked from the plant due to the lack of safety and precautionary measures. They, they really don't know how much. I read from the four sources I read, it was anywhere from 27 to 60 tons. So like no one's really sure how much leaked out. But it was a fuckload. Wow. So it permeated through the night air, killing anywhere from 2,000 to 16,000 people within a few days. And in the subsequent years, another 200,000 have been affected, from birth defects to later deaths due to complications. Yikes. So Aziza Sultan, a survivor, uh, she remembers that, quote, at about 1230 a.m., I woke to the sound of my baby coughing badly. In the half-light, I saw that the room was filled with a white cloud. I heard a lot of people shouting. They were shouting, Run! Run! Then I started coughing, with each breath seeming as if I was breathing in fire. My eyes were burning. Unquote. Another survivor, Champa Devi Shukla, remembers, quote, It felt like somebody had filled our bodies up with red chilies. Our eyes had tears coming out. Noses were watering. We had froth in our mouths. The coughing was so bad that people were writhing in pain. Some people just got up and ran in whatever they were wearing, or even if they were wearing nothing at all. Somebody was running this way, and somebody was running that way. Some people were just running in their underclothes. People were only concerned as to how they would save their lives, so they just ran. So, so those it's who... just vapor? So it's like this cloud. Yeah, it's sort of like this noxious cloud. And it just was just was everywhere. That sounds like a 1950s horror movie. Yeah. It does. Wait, did they know that it was gas from the plant? I'm sure nobody knew. I mean, it happened in the middle of the night. Yeah, I was you just know, wondering if they had any inkling or... Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure people who, who maybe had worked there and maybe knew the conditions. Knew. It might have been a thought in their mind. I bet you most people didn't know at the time. You know, I mean, they're waking up in the middle of the night just to this chaos or just yeah like, because like you might think it's i don't know what the area is like but you might think it's just normal fog which is kind of fun to play in and yeah. you run into that oh god no so continuing from a uh, bopal.org those who fell were not picked up by anybody they just kept falling and were trampled on by other people people climbed and scrambled over each other to save their lives even cows were running and trying to save their lives and crushing people as they ran. People also began dying terrible deaths. Quote, Some vomited uncontrollably, went into convulsions and fell dead. Others choked to death, drowning in their own body fluids. Many died in the stampedes through narrow gullies where street lamps burned a dim brown through clouds of gas. The poison gas was so dense and searing that people were reduced to near blindness. As they gasped for breath, its effects grew even more suffocating. The gases burned the tissues of their eyes and lungs and attacked their nervous systems. People lost control of their bodies. Urine and feces ran down their legs. Women lost their unborn children as they ran, their wombs spontaneously opening in bloody abortion. Unquote. Woo! 
Uh, happy birthday to you. Oh, man. That's, you got to uh, celebrate your birthday. That's the up ones there. You didn't get a birthday, Chris. Yeah, it's really, oh, really shit. awful. I mean, and what would follow were just like, you know, whatever survivors were left and whatever aid was rendered to the to this town. Um, I mean, just mass burials, you know, funeral pyres. I mean, like the and the death toll is really uncertain too. I mean, a lot of a lot of conservative estimates say about thirty eight hundred people died just within those few for a couple of days, but it goes it goes just as high to sixteen to eighteen thousand, just in right after, just in a few, just few in days. Few yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. That's so really we, I mean, we'll, we'll never really know how how many people actually died. Right, and then, like if this was the act of a government. We would hear about this. Mm. We'd hear so much more about this if this ha- was like, you know, something that was happening. Some in- regime. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a, a a dictator, a warlord was gassing his people. Yeah. You'd hear about it. It, it sounds. Yeah, I guess kind of like Saddam. Thinking, yeah. It was just, it sounds like comparable to, um, you know, accounts from the Holocaust and uh, Hiroshima and stuff like that. Yeah, and like, at what points is your is your negligence because you don't have to care about those people, partially having to do with what race they are? Oh, like, yeah. at what point does that not? Oh yeah. You know, like you're not. So so you took more steps to get there, but like it's not not the same thing. Yeah. No, I I agree. Yeah. That you you're still gassing people because you can and, and because you'll probably get away with yeah, it yeah because they're like foreigners yeah you know they're, they're, they're people in you some don't other have country. to care about or yeah i mean they're and you know it's like well that factory was shut anyway it was just some shitty town of you know a brown people why why do we care yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah. yeah so treatments for the survivors had been slowed and made all more difficult by the company's unwillingness to share the information on the deadly gas so they just like they asked, give us the makeup of it. Give us like basically what's in it. And they refused to give up any of that information, saying it was like a safeguarded company secret. Oh, yeah. 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 The mm-hmm. um, uh, fracking companies here in Colorado don't have to disclose what chemicals are in their fracking water that they pump into the ground. You know where all of our water is. Yep. And I don't mean the stuff in pipes like the stuff in aquifers. They they just pump it into the ground and this could come through your pipes at some point or if you have well water through your system and you don't you just don't get to know what they put in there Mm -hmm. because it's a company secret it's a patented company secret yeah and and the you know that happened with radium which we've talked about already um in the episodes is you know the paint or or the what they were mixing it with um they were able to not divulge that to any of the doctors or anything even though they, you know, is it, hey, we have patients dying. Like, these women are fucking falling apart. And they're like, no, it's an our pain. Just it's like, well, business. you know, I'm sorry. It's just a company secret. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. Anderson, Union Carbide CEO. Sorry, I think we all agree that one's got to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> None of that shit. Maybe it's not public knowledge, but, like, the government should be able to get their hands on that. Not just like, oh, it's a trade secret. Like, no. Yeah, you should be forced if if like it if something Actually, like this. I do think it should be public information. You shouldn't get to use a chemical you don't know what the repercussions are. Yeah, but that's I just ab- me. I absolutely agree. 
Sorry, go ahead. No, Chris. you're fine. I'm getting ranty. <laughs> oh, God, she's pulling out the soapbox. <laughs> Do you think I'm ranty, baby? <laughs> Do you? So, Mr. Anderson, Union Carbide CEO, never stood trial. <laughs> the company was to pay. Sorry, that's four- not even how that joke goes. My bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so the company was to pay $470 million in compensation, but the victims only got between $300 and $500 each. India tried to extradite Anderson, but no response from American officials ever came. He died in 2014 a rich man in an uncomfortable retirement. So Dow Chemicals, which assumed liability when taking over Union Carbide in 2001, has yet to do anything as well. They put aside $2.2 billion to compensate former U- Union Carbide asbestos workers in Texas, but have yet to make any such commitment to the victims in India. They maintain that it was the old company who was responsible, and even went as far as to blame the workers for incompetence or even suggest sabotage. What should wow. have been a multi-billion wow. dollar lawsuit for the thousands dead and the environmental impact, only a small fraction was paid out. And no one has ever really answered for the deadliest industrial accident in world history. What a wow. bunch of cocksuckers. And not the good kind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't even touch on that, the the environmental um, cost. I would imagine that, that area that ground is, is still, still contaminated. contaminated. Yeah. yeah, it's wow. still fucked. Yeah. Because we don't know how to get rid of any of this shit. Yeah. We don't know how to clean any of this. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Like, we just got to hope and pray we find a mushroom that works. That is our best bet. Yep. So, yeah, that's the... Uh, that's horrible. That's that's probably one of the worst things I've ever heard. Yeah, man. The Bhopal disaster. This is a great birthday, mm. by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm so Is this really? what you really, so really glad. wanted to do? Yep. I'm so glad. Here with a couple of my favorite people in the world talking about horrible things. Oh, Lord. Red, red wine. Oh, God. close to me. <laughs> you know that? That song's actually really good. Uh, it is a really good song. Yeah. All right. I red, just red wish wine middle-aged Florida Summers. women didn't uh, fucking knock over tables trying to dance to it when it comes on. Oh, that'll never stop. It doesn't All matter right. what song it is. Oh, <laughs> that happens in Iowa too. Oh yeah. Yay. Yay. See connection. Human <laughs> connection. Are we all just the same? <laughs> yeah, that's how marketing happens. Ooh, segue. <laughs> so speaking of marketing, um, the company I'm about to talk about wants to be your family. They they want you to think that. They're Olive Garden? Yeah, yeah. They want to be the Olive Garden of plastics. Oh, nice. Yeah. They So this is a good spin for any corporation. They, they want you to think that they are a family not unlike your own. And they want you to think that their family cares about your family. They want you to think that their founders are just like you. And they want you to think that they would help your community flourish by bringing good-paying permanent jobs to the town to stimulate the economy. Most of us Americans think that this is generally a good thing. Or if you are from the most rural parts, as I am, you know that adding a thousand good-paying jobs to your community is a really big deal. 
So, hey, this this company needs workers and pays well, and this county needs that economic boost, so that sounds like a good deal. Yet time after time, we see our little towns with their amazing natural beauty be destroyed by pollution from these companies, and the workers are left high and dry when the medical problems from the job pop up. Like McDonald's. Yeah? Do do people get, get mad burns and... Well, I get mad burns on my booty deformities. hole. Deformities. Yeah, I get mad butt. Oh burn. yes, McDonald's deformations of the booty holes. I did hear that. But case. they they do destroy small towns. <laughs> they do with, with with yeah. It starts it starts with the Walmart and the McDonald's, and then it's fucking downhill from yep, there. It's done. The bakery's gone. Mm-hmm. So the company that I'm talking about is called Formosa, and if you don't live in the South, you may not have heard that name before. Formosa is a plastics corporation from Taiwan. And they first came to the U.S. in the 80s. And their, their chairman, Y.C. Wong, was a very connected, very powerful man with ties to the U.S. presidency as well as the Taiwanese government. And when asked about plastics pollution, he said, there simply won't be any pollution. Pollution doesn't exist. And then, yeah, and then he grins like the Grinch, which should have been a red flag. <laughs> so His enti- lips just curl like he's got. He's got this. Just like when he's talking, you can tell it's bullshit. And then he's got this weird glint in his eye. This very Grinch-like. He gives this grin that just you know he's up to no good. Mm. Interesting. Anyway, in Taiwan, Formosa's operations are marked by heavy pollution. So the villagers had been poisoned with mercury and other things, and the things they catch out of the sea had also been poisoned. And so when the chairman comes down to the beach to talk to them in, you know, like a PR stunt, they throw rocks at him and try to dump some of the wastewater onto the chairman. And y'all, I have new protest ideas, and they all involve squirt guns. Nice. Next episode. And Mercury? Maybe. Nice. That's neither here nor there yet, but we'll get back back to you on that. So as things are heating up in Taiwan, they decide that it's maybe a better idea to go elsewhere and expand because it seems like the bigger you are, the harder it is to get you to fall if you're a corporation. Uh, So they ended up in Point Comfort, Texas which opened in the 1980s, their uh, small PVC pipe plant, and immediately began operating with reckless abandon of environmental regulations. This plant made the, the material that makes the pipes, as in pellets, and these things are called nurdles, <laughs> which sounds cute, but they're actually poisoning us all. <laughs> oh, that's so cute, little nurdles. Cute little poisonous nurdle. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, mm, thank you. I'm bleeding poison. Cancer. The powder chemicals combined to make these kinds of plastic include dangerous chemicals such as polyvinyl chloride and I always weirdly say this wrong, but bifizinol A, also known as BPA, which you've probably seen on many products saying BPA free, along with a lot of other unstudied chemicals that I mentioned earlier, they simply don't have to disclose it. It's not like a pharmaceutical drug where it's tested to see what it does to people before people take it. This could end up in your body 
without ever having been tested whatsoever. And maybe, you know, like one lab knows what it is and it's the lab at the chemical company. These are used to make all the plastic things all around you, which slowly decay and bleed poison all over your home. And they were also injecting these things into the ocean and nearby waterways of Calhoun County, Texas. And people in the area began to get sick, including the plant workers and nearby fishing towns noticed that their livelihoods were dying off. Sound familiar? A grassroots movement took place to gather samples from the area and seek legal action against Formosa. People who worked for Formosa and knew the damage they were causing also broke from the company and started acting against them. As their lawyer points out in the next in the Netflix doc, and I think this is very important for maybe more liberal-leaning city people to understand, is that conservative rural folks care about their environment, but it manifests in very different ways. Rather than going vegetarian or joining an environmental activism group, they pay for conservation efforts through hunting permits, park passes, fishing licenses, and such. They see that it's hurting the people and the environment, and they break with that company and that good-paying job because they know it's the right thing to do. And they aren't the stereotypical cartoonish hippies. Uh, they're real regular citizens standing up to environmental injustice. And a whistleblower by the name of Dale Jurassic was a former lead operator in the wastewater department at Formosa. And he helped build the plant and then was hired on at the plant. And he started noticing the bad practices at the plant, like illegal dumping into storm drains and messing with samples for federal testing. And he started refusing to break the law for Formosa. He also had some insane health problems from the plant, like neck boils, non-repairable nerve damage, and negative cognitive effects. But in the, docu in the documentary, he says finding out that the chemicals used at the plant were causing babies to be born with deformities and that they would affect the next generation as well was where he drew the line. You don't ever fuck with children. That's the rule, he says to the camera. Jurassic also helped the FBI get inside information to investigate Formosa. He didn't want to snitch on his friends, but he couldn't let it stand and his whole family faced community ostracization because of it. And the FBI spent three years building the case and then didn't file because similar cases did not bring a big enough punishment. Now, there are other whistleblowers. Diane Wilson lost her family's fishing business in Lavaca Bay to the pollution from Formosa. And Van Jason Rosner, the formal special PVC unit supervisor at Formosa. And he started escalating his concerns and told Formosa he would contact the EPA. And he was fired. Uh, Diane Wilson, also, who lost her, her family's fishing business, uh, she still, as far as I know, uh, leads the fight to clean up the bay and hold Formosa accountable. And she's uh, also a waterkeeper. What's a waterkeeper? So, um, they are activists who specifically center around protecting uh, water resources. Like natural oh. fresh water usually, but the ocean definitely counts. Um, Ronnie Hamrick, retired uh, PVC plant supervisor. So he's a supervisor. He's When someone gets injured, he's one of the people who deals with it. And for injuries and illnesses on the job, Formosa told its employees what to report, even in life-threatening circumstances. He says, 
they don't want to spend the money. If they don't have to spend it, they won't spend it. So it's just like wrote on a sheet, like definitely had two legs when he left. Yeah, this exactly. Like, <laughs> they're like his whole face was still there when he left work today. Mm-hmm. He burnt it off somewhere yeah, it happened else. At home. Anyway, things were are because you don't recover recover from a thing like this very quickly are very bad in point comfort. The plant had multiple explosions and gassed the town several times. Fortunately, it did not get as bad as what we talked about earlier in Bhopal. Oh, Bhopal, yeah. Uh, Bhopal, sorry. No, you're good. Um, but mothers did uh, try to sue the company to... Uh, basically, they just wanted their kids to be able to walk to school without fear of being lit on fire. You know, American dream. So people started moving away because they couldn't fight the company. And you couldn't fight, you know, Texas. Uh, the political climate of Texas is saturated with anti-regulatory sentiment. And all it took was some schmoozing from Formosa. And by schmoozing, I mean they bought an election. Uh, they had never received more than a slap on the wrist in forms of punitive action for violations. However, due to the local movement brought on by the whistleblowers and community activists, they were finally able to push legal action. And in 2017, according to the TCEQ, which is the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, Formosa was one of the biggest polluters in Texas, releasing over a million pounds of unauthorized contaminants. And then they lost the $50 million lawsuit with the locals of Point Comfort. Uh, They had to agree to clean up the creek and bay. And this was the largest citizen-led settlement of clean water of a Clean Water Act suit in history, which is amazing. It took three towns like 10 years or more to put together all the evidence and live with the consequences of this before anything was done. And then it wasn't even like Formosa was shut down. Don't they tread on me gassing you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> tread on my business treading on you. Yeah, it is. This is no wow. tread zone. So Formosa immediately made plans for more expansion and they haven't gotten very far due to more pushback from the locals there in Point Comfort. But now they're trying to expand to build the largest plastics manufacturing plant in the world in St. James Parish, Louisiana. Oh, man. A family company. Wait, that's Johnson and Johnson, but they all like to pretend that. Yeah, yeah, they're like, Johnson and Johnson also makes products that kill people so yeah a family company (laughs) family that's like god you know it's like you think it's so easy to see through that kind of stuff right like the slogans they have trying to make themselves come off as like hey where your friend guy buddy but (laughs) it it, a lot of people just seem to it just seems to get sucked into it maybe it's the psychology of marketing yeah um Dude, my it, old it, it roommate, really he started working at Wells Fargo and he was like this crazy stoner kid who like listened to Bass Nectar and stayed at Red, went to Red Rocks too often. And then he started working at Wells Fargo and like a year into that, he's like wears suits regularly and is just, to be honest, the biggest fucking douchebag you've ever met. <laughs> Not that the Bass Nectar didn't already give that away. Yeah. And, <laughs> I don't know. It's. I guess it's the predatory nature of these, of like these companies and corporations, all these, you know, like things we've been talking about. It's just, 
you know, but we, it's like we allow it to happen. Yep. You know, it's through our representatives who we elect. It's through us just, you know, buying and being and consuming the products. Well, it's also through, through us being, you know, too tired to to fight the man. Sure. And yeah. too tired, like too many other things in your life to deal with, to pay attention long enough to know who is actually, you know, calling you Mrs. America. Yeah, and I guess because they're fucking you, and that's why they, you know, usually are going to prey on lower class, you know, lower income people, is because they're, you know, life is hard. It is harder to fight it, you know. It is, it is hard to make a big stink. It's like, well, I got all this other fucking shit to worry about. Yeah, you know, so it's like the system set up on the young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun, happy birthday to me. Uh Oh, you love this. This is your kink. (laughs) (laughs) This is your very, very niche kink, Chris. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you know, as we've been doing the Radium Girls episodes, you know, it it definitely, it's very, it's very obvious, like, how, like, evil and, you know, just the the machinations that this company does to fuck over these girls. Um, you know, it just really makes you think like, man, this is just really happening everywhere and it's always happened and it's still happening yeah. in so many places. We watched that, uh, dirty money. So dirty money is, um, on like a documentary series on Netflix. There's, um, there's one on point comfort, Texas. And then I think it's like the next one in the next season is about Valiant, which was, a company that bought a bunch of drugs and drug companies that were smaller than them that had life saving drugs in them and then raised the prices on all of them. Mm. So it's just, yeah, it still happens. It's just still going on until we figure out the cure to greed. Yeah. yeah. We're not really mm-hmm. going to figure it out. Yeah. Good stories. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, We, you know, needed to come up with a kind of filler episode real quick, and this just seemed like a good, good way to go. So we'll be finishing Radio Girls Part Four um, on the next episode. So definitely listen for that. Emily, thank you for being on. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I love being on every time. Always good to see your face, Kate. See your face every day, Chris. But it's good. <laughs> yeah. You can find me at um, Everyday Lies Podcast, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. You can also find us uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, really. But top ones would probably be Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music. Um, so you can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore pod, on TikTok at Under the Pendulum. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. All right, everybody, get your squirt guns. Where can they find you, Kate? We're going in hot. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Instagram under Frothy Star Dog. You can find me on Instagram by searching for Christopher Weber 13V and on Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. You can find Heather on Facebook at Heather Thomas on Instagram at h.n.thomas 
on Twitter at Heather W. Thomas, and you can hear her nar- her narrations on Creepy Tales to Terrify, The Wicked Library, and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Woo! And that's not Wiccan Library, because that must be something very different. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of tits. <laughs> A lot of candles tits and tits. Candles lit. Catherine, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> uh, dude, that's gotta be that's gotta be a song, man. I hope we're, so. We're, we're we're gonna write it next episode. Nice. Yeah. It's a live Where's action that? live song ride. <laughs> Where's that fucking meetup? I need to go there. Yeah, right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Cats and cats and tits. (laughs) We can spells and return to the (laughs) Ah, Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back. Uh, We'll see you next time. Don't drink the water. 